Well, I think we're gonna get started. Welcome to Crossroads Family Camp 2020. Some of you have uh, been enduring the conditions for a whole week up here. Uh, some of you have just been here since Wednesday or Thursday, and some of you just barely made it in today. Raise your hand if you just barely made it in today. Everybody who's here for just today, raise your hand. All right, welcome. Thank, thanks for coming all the way up to be with us in person. Do we all get the same reward no matter when we showed up? <laughs> yes, yes, you all get paid the same amount. So that's a good one, Nate. Um, anyway, uh, we're looking at the book of Luke. We're in a series called, you guys didn't know what the name of the series is? Anybody been in church paying attention this year? Bringing Jesus into... Focus, right? We're in the book of Luke. We're going through the gospel of Luke. We are, here's the good news, we are two-thirds of the way through the gospel of Luke after today's message. So you're only one-third left. Uh, there's 24 chapters in the book of Luke, and we're in chapter 16. So I think that's about 8, 16, 24. Yeah, I was right. Two-thirds of the way through. I guess I was, yeah. So, um, yeah, so... Uh, so I'm going to give you a little context of today's message. We're going to have more of a short devotional than a full-on sermon this morning, but uh, we still want to be edified and encouraged and challenged by God's Word. And uh, we're also going to have some baptisms uh, following this, just uh, following that path. Um, we're going to have at least three people that are wanting to get baptized and awesome. declare their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's always an exciting moment for the church, is it not? It is. Amen. And so we're going to be doing that. Uh, we invite anybody to stay right after, kind of make your way. You can just walk down the path and we'll have some uh, some baptisms real quick. And then uh, we'll have the rest of the afternoon for fellowship, fun and activities. And uh, we're excited to have just some time together up here at, at family camp. So with that, I'm going to pray and then uh, we're going to dive in this morning. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this beautiful creation that you've made, God, that we can enjoy today up here at Donner uh, Memorial State Park, God. We just thank you for everyone who's been able to, to come and attend, and for those that are still at home, God, we just pray for them. We thank you for them, and God, we ask that uh, their hearts be encouraged as they hopefully listen to this message tomorrow morning, or um, God, if they attend another fellowship, we just thank you that we can have the freedom, God, to declare your word and your praises in this place. And God, I just, uh, I pray that your word might be clear this morning and that your word might be challenging and impactful to meet us right where we're at. And God, we give you the glory and the praise in Christ's name. Amen. 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 So some of the context of this morning's story is you remember that Jesus is determined to make his way to Jerusalem. He's on, he's on that journey. Luke tells us that that's his mission. He's here to come and seek and save those who were lost. He's come to give his life a ransom for many, and he knows why he's come. And so he's determined to make his way to Jerusalem, knowing the fate, the finality that awaits him there. Um, the betrayal, the, the illegal charges that are brought against him, uh, the, the mistreatment that he endures and the suffering that he endures um, on the part of the high priest and, and his goons, as well as the... Uh, uh, Pontius Pilate and the Roman soldiers 
And he knows that he's going to endure a cross of shame and suffering. And we learned uh, in the last few weeks that we learned in the last few weeks that he is committed to bearing our shame and not allowing us to suffer the shame ourselves. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of the cross is that he was willing to take our shame instead of us having to pay for the sins and the shame that we bear ourselves. And that's the great news of the gospel. That's why it's called good news is because it's free, because it's available to anyone that is willing to trust in Jesus Christ. And that's why, um, that's why we declare this message 2,000 years later. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and, and there's kind of a, uh, two camps that are starting to build in the narrative here in, in the Gospel of Luke. And one of the camps is the, the camp of the Pharisees, and the camp of the Sadducees, and the scribes, and, and the religious powers of that day. And their camp is all about control, all about power, all about trying to keep the people under their thumb. And they don't really like this idea, this revolutionary, this, this man Jesus and his message because he is throwing everything they have, have fought for, have, have um, sought to preserve. He's throwing everything upside down. And he's talking about loving the poor and ministering to the least of these and that all these outward religious activities are worthless compared to an inner heart of faith. And trust in God and that anyone can come and that anyone can be saved and they don't like that message because they think they need to come through their establishment through their control through their means bow their their knee at their feet and Jesus says no you don't need to do that you only need to bow your your knee at my feet and so Jesus is giving a message that is contrary to that that of the Pharisees and he keeps telling these stories one after another. And we've seen them. If you've been around the last month, we've been, there's this long narrative where Jesus is sharing story after story that's confronting this ideology of the Pharisees. All right. We're in uh, chapter 16, starting at verse 19. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was left at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so that they 
won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. So Jesus tells this story and he's, he's confronting the Pharisees and their, their ideology and their, their, uh, their beliefs that it's all about riches and all about power. And he, and he really confronts them with this story because they would have identified with these rich men because that's who they kept company with. You remember they had dinners and they scratched each other's backs and they kind of hung around the rich and the famous of that day. And so it says there was this poor man and they actually give him a name, Lazarus. Jesus names this man. And uh, the belief is, is that um, this man, we're not sure if he really existed or not. Jesus is just telling a story to kind of, um, but, he, but he gives us a, a person. He puts a person to this poor man so that we can identify with this man. And he's covered with sores and he's left at his gate. So there's, a, there's an idea here that this man, Lazarus, is likely possibly crippled. He's sort of placed at the gate of this rich man in hopes that this rich man, as he comes and goes, might have mercy on him, might maybe supply for his needs, might give him what he needs out of his abundance. And yet it says he, he longed to be filled with what, the, what fell from the rich man's table, but instead so we see here that the rich man ignored him. The rich man did not give him anything. Instead, the only way that this poor man got any sort of affection was from the dogs that would come and lick his sores. So it's kind of contrasting this rich man with dogs and that dogs are more compassionate than this rich man. That the dogs were more generous towards this poor guy than someone who had all the means and the capability to do so. And, and yet, why was there poverty in Israel? There was a lot of poverty in Israel, but God had designed it so there wouldn't be poverty. Back in the Old Testament, he set up a system where he called it the year of Jubilee, where all debt was erased, and that everybody got their proper land back. And yet the people of Israel, under these religious leaders' guidance, had abandoned God's laws and God's decrees. They had walked away from the things that God had established and they weren't practicing the year of Jubilee. They weren't practicing these things that would keep people from becoming either extremely rich or extremely poor. God had set up a system to try and create generosity and promote the idea that even if people screwed up for a generation, they could still get their inheritance back and have some sustenance. But instead, we see a land at the time of Jesus that largely had abandoned God and his decrees under the guidance and direction of these guys, the Pharisees. And they're goons, as I said earlier. And they're going around saying, hey, we're the religious establishment. We're the ones with the authority. You must follow us. And yet, there was poverty. But what should they have known about how to treat the poor in this day? Well, we're going to find out. I have four readers. If you're number one, it's your turn. Stand up and be, be loud. Proverbs 14, 
Number two. Number three. All right, that's just four verses from the book of Proverbs dealing with how the people were to conduct themselves towards the poor. What did you hear from those verses? Was it to neglect the poor? Or was it to have compassion and give to the poor and, and care for their needs? Which one did God want? Obviously, he wanted the people to be compassionate towards the poor. And yet we have a whole establishment where you remember they even set up a poor guy that was that was afflicted as sort of a guinea pig to test Jesus at the door. And they they uh, they used him as sort of a way to try and trap Jesus that he healed somebody on the Sabbath. They had no compassion towards these people. And so Jesus really identifies them as, man, you're like this rich guy. You have all the wealth, all the power. You could really do something about the plight of the poor and the needy. You could care for them. You could love them. That's my heart. That's my will. And yet, no, you're doing exactly what this rich man did in, in the story I'm telling. You ignore the poor. You think that they have nothing to offer, so why bother? And that is not my heart, and that is not my will. So it says here that he was covered with sores, he was left there, and one day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. I find it interesting here that Jesus intentionally says that the Lazarus died first. Because I think that Jesus loved this rich man just as much as he loved Lazarus. And Jesus wanted the rich man to kind of get the cue. You know what? You've invested in your wealth and your riches and you think that's going to protect you and keep you. But there's a day coming, a day of reckoning for all of us, regardless of our wealth or poverty. And that's death. Death's a great equalizer. Death's a day where we can't ignore because everybody on this earth dies. Everybody on this earth dies. It comes to an end. What are we going to do when we reach that day? God wants us to be aware of the reality of that day. And so he paints the story to the Pharisees. He says, hey guys, there's a day coming, a day of reckoning. It's going to happen to you just as it's going to happen to this poor man, Lazarus. And if you think about it, Lazarus dying first should have woke this guy up and said, wait a second, what happened to that poor beggar that was at my gate that I ignored all these years? He's gone. That's death. That's coming to me too. Maybe I should change my ways. Maybe I should start having compassion and start having God in my life instead of living selfishly, living for myself and my own kingdom. So God is loving even in allowing Lazarus to pass first. We know that Lazarus was a believer because he was ushered to Abraham's side. He had nothing except for his faith. But faith was everything when it comes to the afterlife. Listen, the rich man 
also died and was buried. Like, likely that word buried is a, an elaborate funeral. They'd even pay mourners to come and weep behind the casket, behind the, the procession of the funeral. They would have paid mourners if you were a rich person. But Lazarus likely was put in an unmarked tomb or just a, a little shallow grave. No ceremony, no pomp and circumstance. But that didn't matter because it says that Abraham, or I'm sorry, that Lazarus was carried to Abraham's side. He's now in a place of comfort, a place where there's no worries. Verse 23, and being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Now here's where we can start getting a little confused because Jesus starts talking about things that even people who have been in church for a long time likely don't fully understand. So I'm going to spend just a couple moments explaining what is happening here. Hades is a word for Sheol, or a place of the dead. And before Jesus rose from the dead, there were two sort of like holding tanks, if you will, for those that had died. Those that had died in faith, like Abraham and Isaac and Daniel and the prophets and those people who trusted God, they were brought into a place called paradise. You remember when Jesus was on the cross? What did he say to the criminal who confessed his sin, who believed in Jesus? Today you will be with me in where? Paradise. paradise. So there's this holding tank, if you will, in the place of the dead, Sheol, called paradise. And that's where Lazarus was taken. Lazarus was taken there and Abraham was there as well. And there's a great separation, a great chasm between that and this place of torment, Hades, a place of torment. But if, if this place is just a temporary holding tank until the day of judgment, because there will be a day of judgment when all the dead are judged, and then the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that those who do not have their names written in the book of life, how do you get your name written in the book of life? Well, you believe in what Jesus did for you on that cross. And that your name is put in, in a book in heaven. And it says, yes, he believes in Jesus. That he is the atoning sacrifice for his or her sins. He believes he's placed his faith. He's taken action by, a, by surrendering his will to Jesus' will. There's been a change of ownership, so to speak. You've been redeemed. You've been bought back with a price. And that price was Jesus on that cross and the blood that he shed for your sins. So the Bible tells us that you're either going to be, um, at that moment, your name's going to be in the book of life, and you're going to be um, with Jesus forever, or if your name's not in the book of life, you're going to be thrown into a place called Gehenna. Gehenna is a name for the lake of fire. And so the holding tank of Hades, this place that is being described here, will be one day emptied out and thrown into a forever prison. So there's a, there's a temporary jail, a place of the dead, and then there's a permanent prison for the place of the, the dead that do not place their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And this place is not cool. It's not a good place. It's a place of torment, a place of, of enduring suffering. And you say, what kind of God would do this to people? And let me just tell you that you don't understand who God is if you're asking that question. 
because God is holy, God is loving, God is righteous, God is good. And to offend him by saying, God, I don't need you. I don't love you, I don't care about you, go away. I'm gonna do my own will in my own way. You've just offended an eternal holy God with your heart and with your actions. And you rightfully deserve punishment for that. That's the reality in which we live, in which we exist. And a loving God could have just been like, Psh, that's their own fault for being idiots, those people I created. But instead, he chose to send his son, Jesus. We know he lived. You don't even have to just hear the Bible. It's written in all kinds of other documentation that there was this man, Jesus, who walked the earth. He was either a liar, he was a lunatic, crazy guy, or he was Lord. There's only three alternatives. C.S. Lewis, in Mere Christianity, a great book, if you haven't read it, describes that there's only three options you can believe about Jesus. He was a liar, he never rose from the grave, he was crazy, he's a lunatic, got a bunch of followers just like you know the guys at Waco Texas or wherever else he was one of those guys and he's still dead somewhere or he's Lord and he rose from the dead and he established his church and we continue to be part of that church 2,000 years later awaiting the promise of his return there's only three options there and Jesus wants us to know and wants us to understand that he loves us and that's why he gave us Jesus. He gave us an option out of that punishment. He didn't have to do that. That's out of his mercy, out of his grace, out of his loving kindness that he gave us that option. And so to reject that option, to reject that grace, you've sentenced yourself to hell. It's not God sending you there. It's you sending yourself there. Don't blame him. He's given you an option, a loving option, something he didn't have to do. It's out of his great riches of kindness towards you and me. The rich man was also died and was buried. The Bible talks about that when Jesus rose from the dead, he emptied paradise. He emptied that second part where Abraham and Lazarus were, and he brought them up into heaven where he dwelt, he sat down, the Bible says, at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And if we are absent from our body, after the resurrection of Christ, we are present with Jesus. That's what the Bible describes. There is no holding tank for those who die in their faith any longer. You are with Jesus. Sure, your body is not reunited until that great day of judgment when he's going to give us a new body, and he's going to resurrect us and, and bring us together with our soul that is with him in heaven. I can't fully understand all that because that's beyond my understanding. But that's what I know is going to take place. And yet the souls that are in Hades, the souls that are in this place of torment, they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. It was not created for them, believe it or not. It was created for, for the person who rebelled against God in heaven. That was Satan. It says that Gehenna, the lake of fire, was created for him. But what has he been doing this whole time on earth? He's been trying to drag as many of the ones that God loves, people, down with him forever and ever. He hates God that much. 
He doesn't want God to have any joy. It says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, what was the joy that was set before Jesus? You and me. The fact that we could be with him forever. He built us for a relationship. He created us to enjoy a permanent relationship with him. It begins here on this earth. You know, it's not perfect, right? I kind of want to see him. I want to like hang out with him like I'm doing with you guys at, some, at family camp. But one day we will be able to see him and hang out with him. But the relationship by faith begins now. On this earth, we pray, we receive his word, we listen to his guidance, we have his Holy Spirit that indwells us, that teaches us to walk in the right way, in the right path. So he, he begins the relationship now, but it's fulfilled on that glorious day when we get to see him face to face. And that's what Lazarus, that's where Lazarus was at. Now notice there was this great chasm or separation between the two. And nothing could bridge that gap. Nothing could go, uh, go over that gap. So this man, he starts praying. Probably for the first time in his life, he starts praying. And he goes, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus over so that he might give me a little relief from this suffering. And Abraham goes, no man, can't happen. You had your opportunity while you were on earth. That's your time of decision. That's your time where you're supposed to make a decision about whether you're gonna trust God or not. Now you're on the other side and you're, you're having to pay for the sins that you committed. What sins did I commit? You didn't even help the poor that was at your gate. With your millions of dollars, you just ignored them. And throughout my scriptures, we just read four of them. I said, don't ignore the poor. Take care of the poor. In verse 25, he says, Remember, in your life, you received all kinds of good things. You received all your reward because you were living for yourself. And yeah, you got to enjoy it. But guess what? On, on the other side, you're going to have suffering. Lazarus, he had nothing. The only thing he had was his faith. And now he, because of that faith, is going to be comforted. And then in the final verses, he, he prays again, but this time he prays for his brothers. And this is an interesting prayer because he's kind of given up on himself at this point, but he's still selfish because all he cares about is not, well, send somebody to everybody who's lost down there on earth. No, send people that I care about, my five brothers, right? Send somebody to them, warn them that they don't come to this place of torment. And Abraham replies, they've had a testimony of the truth. They have the scriptures. They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to the scriptures. It's very clear. I'm not making this stuff up as a pastor here today. This is stuff that has been recorded in God's word. My job is just to be a mouthpiece, a messenger. So if you don't like the message, don't shoot the messenger. I saw some people picking up stones earlier. That was scary. But what I will say is that this is what you need to reckon with. God's word, God's truth preserved for you. It's not about what I say. Look it up. Make sure it's real. Make sure it's true from the Bible. God has given us a record of his truth. And in this record, it says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not go to a place of torment, should not suffer for their own sins, 
But if you believe in Jesus Christ, you should have everlasting life. That's what the word of God says. Believe it, respond to it. We're gonna have baptisms in just a moment after we sing a few songs, hopefully. But we're gonna have some baptisms about some, some young people and not so young people that have decided to trust Jesus and they wanna make that public. That's how Jesus said to go public, to baptize and say, yeah, I'm, I'm trusting Jesus with my life. But guess what Abraham says? He told them if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, because he goes, you know, send somebody from the dead and they'll repent. I, th I think this is the most ironic statement because Jesus is about to rise from the dead. He's about to show himself to a ton of people and he's about to give witness of the resurrection to a bunch of his followers to pass on for 2,000 years. And yet, do we have a world that fully believes because somebody rose from the dead? Or do we have a world still filled with doubters and with skeptics and with people who say, I don't want, that's ridiculous. This idea of Jesus and giving my life to him, how silly. So what Abraham says here is no, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, if they won't listen to the truth of God's word, they won't even be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows that we, we don't like to bow to anyone. And yet Jesus is the one that we need to bow to because he is the Lord and savior of us all. This morning, my challenge to you is very simple. Very simple, this is a simple story. Number one, have you bowed your knee and your heart to Jesus Christ? He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. There's no other way. If there was another way, Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. Why go through that level of torment if there's some other way? Jesus himself prayed in the garden. If there's some other way, Father, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was willing to go and pay the price that sin demanded. A just God needs to punish sin. He can't just let it go unpunished. That's not justice. So he took the punishment on himself. But a loving God says, I'm going to not hold other people accountable. I'm going to take their shame on myself. So we have a just God and we have a loving God in Jesus Christ. He loves you. But justice demanded that sin be paid for. And so he suffered in your place, in my place. And he said, whosoever will may come and drink of living water. Have you drank of that living water? Have you bowed your heart to Jesus? I don't want you to be this man who is in torment one day who's looking across the chasm, looking for any kind of relief, begging that somebody go tell your family members the truth. It's too late. God has appointed man once to die and then the judgment. That's the truth. You have this lifetime to decide. Now is the time of God's favor. Let today be the day of salvation. Don't wait, don't hesitate. You feel God's spirit moving in your heart. and You know you're guilty of your sins. Let me just say there's forgiveness. There's reconciliation with the loving God. 
and it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's my challenge to you guys. If you don't know him today, you can know him. You can get baptized today. You, we could celebrate a new life that's going to be in heaven forever with Jesus Christ. And if you do know him, how are we treating the poor? Are we looking the other way to those who are in need? Or are we being compassionate? You know, it's, it's challenging, right? We get frustrated with some of the homeless situations that go on in our world. We get frustrated with some of the decisions people have made or who, you know, what kind of things have led them to that place. But was there a bunch of excuses given to the rich man? Well, we understand you, you knew that Lazarus had made some poor decisions. That's why he was at your gate. So you had every right to look the other way. No, we're not called to make those judgments. We're just called to have compassion on the poor. We're called to minister to those in need. We're called to be Christ's ambassadors wherever he's placed us. So do you have a heart for those that are poor? Do you make it in your budget to give a little bit of the excess that God has blessed you with to minister to those in need? You know, it goes a long way. We can say Jesus loves you all day long, but do we show it through our actions, church? Do we prioritize it in our budgets, church? Let me just say and challenge you that that's what God's called us to be and do as his bride, as his church. And this morning, I, I encourage you to take, take, a, take a hard look at your own heart and your own actions towards those that have less than you. Do you love them like God loves them? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the truth of this passage. God, the conviction that it is for for all of us, no matter where we stand with you, God, whether we're, we're still at odds with you, we're still at enmity with you, God, we're still not, we're wrestling with giving our hearts to you. God, give us that peace, that assurance that we can trust you with our lives, that you are good. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. God, and we're loved by you and we can trust you. You have a better plan that we could ever come up with. God, help us to just bow our hearts and our knees at your feet. And God, if we're, we're in the church, God, help us to take inventory of how we use our time, how we use our resources. Do we, do we represent your love and your compassion to a lost world? Are we just Christians going around judging people? Or are we Christians ministering to people? God, help us to be ambassadors for you. God, we lift... We lift these things up to you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.